Welcome to the Bubble Lounge. I'm Nellie Shudo. And I'm Martha Jackson. And today joining us is Robert Riggs from True Crime Reporter Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Robert. Thanks for having me on. So literally, I was reading up on you, and you have one of the most impressive resumes I've ever seen in my life. And I, I didn't even know what we could hone in today because we only have 30 minutes, and you have accomplishments of mile-long awards. Thank you. You've worked in so many wonderful areas. Tell us what you're most proud of. You should have been my agent when I was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I received the Peabody, and that's the biggie for television. And I and I received it with Oprah, and Oprah and I were together I that, that day for the whole mm-hmm. thing. And then I received three uh, Columbia DuPont Awards from the Columbia University for investigative reporting. And those are the other big three. And then the one I'm really proud of is outstanding alum from Texas A&M. You know, we got a bunch of Aggies. <laughs> a good old Texas boy. I like oh, it. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, Robert, we were so happy to have you at our anniversary event the other night. And congratulations. Thank you. And immediately, you've been on our friend Ron Corning show. We, you yes. know, we've heard a lot of your stories. I was so intrigued by your background. Like, you seriously have been under fire. You've been I mean, you've done it all, right? How long has your career spanned? Oh, 40 years. 40 years, 40 yeah. 40 years, yes. And if you count Congress, what I did there, yes. And so what, tell us what led you into this career. Well, I was an investigator for a congressional committee straight out of Texas A&M with a degree in architecture, who would imagine. <laughs> uh, but I was hooked on politics. I went to work for the member of Congress that started the Watergate investigation. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of started off kind of as a gopher, but I had a curiosity, and they really kind of liked the way I dug out stuff. And eventually, I was an investigator for one of the committees that was digging up Watergate-related stuff. And it was in the course of that that I met reporters from the New York Times and the Washington Post, and really became friends with Bob Schieffer, who was the CBS News uh, capital correspondent, who's from Fort Worth, a Texan, you know, so there's a sort of immediate kind of bond. And I just always thought, you know, I'd, I'd really like to go out there and really tell the full truth of what gets covered up in the hearings here. <laughs> you know, we never get it all out there. And that's mm-hmm. that's what we got. And actually, Bob Schieffer helped me get started. Well, it's very interesting because I grew up, like, people laugh at me. I, I, my husband will tease me because I'll say, we'll talk about TV shows. And I'll say, that was black and white. And he will say, no, it wasn't. You had a black and white TV. And I grew up in a, a journalism family. Uh-huh. And my mother's a journalist. And my brother's a journalist. And I am, too, for local news. And uh, we watched... Walter Cronkite on black and white TV, even though yes. other people were watching yeah. color. <laughs> Uncle Walter. Yes, and yeah. it seemed more, it seemed more, I don't know, more serious and more like there was something more interesting about black and white. I miss it. And I know people who thought that he was a, like a cousin or an uncle, always there mm-hmm. at the end of the dinner table at mm-hmm. night. Also, I will say this. Journalists were not celebrities at the time. Journalists were journalists. They were delivering the news, Mm -hmm. and there was a clear demarcation between that and a reality star. Now we're kind of melded. How are you incorporating that into your new show? I'm really just kind of back to being myself. I was old school, Mm -hmm. and hey, just the facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't confront people. I just try to... Get the, make them feel comfortable to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And there's it's tough to get law enforcement to tell stories because sure. they've been trained all their life not to talk to the media. Bad things can happen to your career. But I always had kind of a, a touch and understood them. I, my father had been in law enforcement, mm-hmm. and so I sort of understood the nature of the of the beast. Right, you, you appealed to them yes. in a way. Yeah, I mean, I just... 
you know, I know, well, one of the things I learned, too, working in Congress and politics and all is really kind of how to be trustworthy, mm-hmm. you know, and you really, you've got to always tell the truth and be upfront, no games, no shenanigans. And and you have just had to earn people's respect. And I don't know, I don't know that today I think people are just interested in earning clicks, Mm-hmm. you know, on their, their mm-hmm. stories. Well, and with that voice right there, I could imagine that anyone would be happy to open up and tell you all sorts of secrets. You have this such a soothing, <laughs> calm voice. In fact, before I left, I always asked my kids, I'm going to go interview so-and-so. So I said, I'm going to go interview Mr. Riggs with Tr- True Crime Reporter. Tell me what we what I should ask him. My daughter goes, how did he get that voice like that? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that's the perfect voice to report on crimes. <laughs> well, you, you know, you cannot hear yourself. And so right. I didn't know it. And, and I did, cu- coming up in East Texas, uh, I had that nasal twang. Mm-hmm. And Bill Moyers and I were, people say, you know, you're a, you're a Bill Moyers clone. Wow. Well, and mm-hmm. so Bill was from Marshall, Texas, and I'm from Paris, Texas. Same, you know, makeup of everything. Uh, and then, it, you know, as I started doing television, it started going away and living up east, it, it went away. And then my first job in TV was in New York City. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, let's talk about True Crime Reporter, your new podcast. Um, you literally have gone to your archives for the past 30 to 40 years and dug up old cases that you've worked on. And that's literally what your podcast is about. Yeah, so you know, my uh, parents were Depression-era children, and they were hoarders, and that kind of got into me. And so I still have all of these spiral reporter notebooks and notes and everything else, and tapes, because I'd carry a little handheld cassette and tape people and all. And, you know, m- my wife kept saying, you know, you really ought to go do true crime. You mm-hmm. really ought you know, it, it had great ratings. You liked it when you did it. And I was like, oh, no, you know, I think I ought to do war. I love going to Mm-hmm. War zones and stuff. And then we looked up one day, and I had some true crime stories on YouTube, and I had 2 million views. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, well, the audience has spoken. And I was learning about podcasting, and uh, it, I, I liked the whole idea of how intimate it was. You would kind of be in the head of your audience. Uh, you didn't have to lug around what I used to call the 500-pound pencil, your camera crew, like in a rack. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, all that equipment. So it was really easy. And since leaving you know, TV in 2008, I went to the digital world uh, with a lot of help from Martha's husband, Sean, who mm-hmm. was a great mentor to me and teaching me the ropes and helped me to get here today. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we just started digging back into the old files, and this first series is what I thought was the most one of the most interesting stories I ever did, a story that changed laws. And, and Ann Richards looked at me one day with some U.S. Marshals and said, you know, you've saved lives. Well, and that's some real Texas history, just mentioning Ann Richards. Yes. You know, that's what I think. When I think of Texas, I think Ann Richards. Yes. Big hair. Remarkable. Big woman. politics. You know, like a big heart. Like, I really loved her. From my New York City background. Like, yeah. that, was, that was how I saw she Texas. She was bigger than life. Yeah. She was yes. just a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that you say this about a podcast, because when you said it and you talked old school, like my first job was collecting the wires at Newsweek magazine. Mm-hmm. So when I think about that kind of old school feel, what you reminded me of is how important radio used to be. Oh, yes. You know, and oh. how in a way we've come full circle mm-hmm. with the podcast, because you're right. You don't have to lug around this crew. It's really much more intimate. 
Yeah, it's kind of like back to the fireside chat with mm-hmm. Roosevelt and all. Mm-hmm. You know, where everybody would gather around. But it's you know, it's a singular thing. Mm-hmm. We don't listen to. I don't think people listen to podcasts together. Maybe they do. We should bring it back. Let's bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> but they're in their cars and they're in the gym and they're walking, and that's the way I do it. I I, I love podcasts mm-hmm. on over a wide range of subjects. So, but I do like you. I just feel like you have a better relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm. Speaking, you know, into their brain, into their minds. Whereas, because you know, television is really a passive medium, mm-hmm. you sit on the couch and other things going on. You don't interact. You're right. Right. Well, I love true crime, and I'm one of the, like you mm-hmm. said, women are your big followers, right? They're, yes. Uh, and I do love it. I have to say, I said this to you the other night. It fascinates me that so many of the stories that I watch when I watch any kind of true crime thing, they take place in Texas. Why is that? <laughs> you know, this for a reporter. I mean, I loved it here. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just like ground zero, the craziest, wildest stories. You can have hurricanes. <laughs> yes. You can have chemical plants exploding. You know, I did the uh, Luby's Cafeteria Massacre, the biggest mass shooting at the time in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did all 51 days with the Branch Davidians uh, in the midst of doing what is the subject of the first series of Free to Kill about this serial killer. I was also at the Davidians in the middle of that. Uh, Oklahoma City bombing, militias. Uh, it, it's sort of been all all here, a, a, uh, <laughs> a very rich environment for craziness. Exactly. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because I'm I'm very obsessed with it, the Branch Davidians. Yes. What was that like working there? Like, were you stationed outside for days, oh, yeah. gathering information? Sure. We, we came in shifts. We'd, you'd typically be there at least 14 hours. Mine would start, I'd start at 7 in the morning calling sources, and by 9, the FBI every day would have a briefing. And then off of that briefing for the rest of the day and stuff you heard from sources, you were producing stories, and you were looking for any glimpse of some change in the compound and it taught you know there was a period there where the, some of the children were released and got out mm-hmm. but the more I learned about Koresh and his kind of Armageddon um, philosophy and all I never I didn't think they were coming out mm-hmm so, Robert, you mentioned that you were with the Branch Davidians for 51 days, and you were also researching the serial killer. How did you manage to do both of those? Oh, it's kind of a juggling act. So, what, And I, I sort of had to put some of it on hold. When I came to Texas I'd, uh, in 91, uh, I'd been covering the Reagan White House, the George H.W. Bush campaign, the beginning of his White House, covered Congress for years. And I was burned out. It was a hard, because mm-hmm. it, it was seven days a week. and. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to relax. I'm going to, getting the assignment in Austin. It's laid back. And you cover the legislature and wearing jeans and cowboy boots. Then, though, when I got here, you could not turn on television or pick up the papers without some awful crime, horrendous crime. Because we're in Texas. <laughs> back to <laughs> Texas. <laughs> and, and it was the tagline on all these. I mean, there were women being dragged by their hair out of cars in Houston at traffic lights and murdered. It was all stranger on stranger and senseless, but the tagline always, they were out on parole. I was like, out on parole? And the great thing about the Texas legislature is the press is on the floor with the members, and there's a rail that's... And I started talking across the rail to Senator uh, Ted Lyon uh, from Mesquite, and he was the chairman of the Criminal Justice Committee, and we started sharing notes about this. And so he had some hearings, and what the parole board members said didn't make any sense at all. 
And uh, they claim, well, we don't have a, a crystal ball, but you're letting them out. So literally, Lion and I are sharing notes, and he's getting stuff, and uh, he finds out that 85 former death row inmates are out on parole. Now, you, how'd that happen? Well, they, are, they were releasing them in the dead of night to relieve prison overcrowding, and it was a wow. huge political scandal, but a cover-up, and they were releasing the worst of the worst inmates, and that's what was contributing to everything. Mm-hmm. But in the course of doing it, I discovered one of the names on the list was Leonardo Lopez, who he and his accomplice had abducted five Dallas sheriff's deputies in the late 70s that were trying to serve a drug warrant, tied them up, took them to the Trinity River Bottoms by downtown Dallas and executed them. And three were killed, one gravely wounded, one ran and got away. As it turned out, Lyon had been a police officer before the legislature. He go to law school, and he used to serve warrants with one of those officers, so it was personal. So now, fast forward, we're here, we are, and this guy's out. And Lyon is furious. He, I mean... How could this be? So I did a story about Leonardo Lopez, and I mean, it set off a firestorm across the state. Law enforcement, they were up in arms. They were, lawmakers were up in arms, like, how could this happen? But I also, it was kind of a throwaway in the story, like, okay, what's our other local angle? And I put a guy in called Kenneth Allen McDuff. And he was a serial killer. He had abducted three teenagers, random crime in Fort Worth, and had murdered them. And he'd become known as the broomstick killer for the way he killed the female victim. And your audience, my audience knows it's explicit. I'm not going to tell your yeah, audience. Yeah, I can why. imagine. Yes, yeah. you'll have to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I do the story, and a woman calls the station and says, I've got to talk to Robert Riggs. Um, I saw the man who murdered my daughter last night. Like, Leonardo Lopez? No, Kenneth Allen McDuff. And she was a truck stop waitress in Waco, and my crew and I made a beeline there and started talking to her and uh, find out that she's been over to talk to U.S. Marshals, and he's out on parole, and They've been to the police. Nobody will listen. Nobody will listen to her and her husband. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, her daughter was a drug addict and become a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And a number of his victims were sex workers. And they you, serial killers usually target them because yeah. kind of no one cares. Yeah, and nobody's really the, watching out for the them. The police didn't care. But the U.S. attorney down there named Bill Johnston, who was just a tiger, and these two U.S. marshals, they cared. They cared. And... They knew of McDuff's reputation from their childhood. They remembered their dad being involved in the pursuit of him from the killings in Fort Worth. And that sets off this manhunt. And at the same time, I'm digging into, how did he get out of prison? How did this happen? And and I made a lot of headway, had a number of stories on. Then Branch Davidians happened. I have to, you know, time out, pause, and then it ends and I'm back on the air. And eventually, the parole board chairman gets convicted federally. The um, huge, you know, changes the law come. But in the meantime, McDuff is a killing machine. The hearing I mentioned, the hearing about the serial killers being out. Literally, while that hearing is taking place, he's cruising Austin for victims. Just 
around the corner from the Capitol that's going on. And he abducts a woman out of a car wash after Christmas who's in there uh, washing her new sports car that she all she's proud of. And he was like a shark. And uh, the, the officers always liked my description. I mean, he had eyes like a shark. They're just cold. And he would circle his per- like his, they were prey. And his mm-hmm. car, he had this car, and he, he would have accomplices. And he would strike in a heartbeat. And he was a massive man. He, he preferred petite, brunette women. Mm-hmm. And he had massive hands, and he'd come up, and he'd grab them by the throat and lift them into the air and stuff them into the car. And uh, those poor women, so... He's classified as a sadistic sexual serial killer and um, was, was into control. I will decide when you're going to die. I'll make the decision. Oh, God, this so is he, horrifying. He would yeah, take his horrible. victims to the point of death and bring them back mm. for hours and hours. Um, Hence the sadistic. Yes, yeah. So... He's the worst in the history of Texas. He's, they teach him at the FBI. You probably have never heard of him because Bundy yeah. and these guys get it. But this guy, the, the sheer brutality. And he, he hid his bodies. He buried his, his bodies in very remote areas. And, you know, they believe there are countless, countless bodies out there that they'll never, you know, you'll never know how many. What happened to him? Well... The marshals caught him, mm-hmm. uh, tried, uh, not once, but twice for capital murder. So he's the only man in the history of Texas to re- receive three capital murder charges and, and convictions. The first one, in 1972, Supreme Court overturned the death penalty across the country. And all of these death row inmates' sentences were commuted to life. Now, no one ever imagined in those days you'd let them out. You'd let them out on parole. No. Now, the podcast is about, in his case, how did that happen? Did money grease palms? Mm-hmm. Did money grease palms on hate killers that got out? Other murderers, serial rapists? That's what you're going you to... That's the rest of the story mm-hmm. in the podcast. But... He was executed, well, and I will walk you through step by step because I've been on de- up and down death row with inmates. I've been in the death chamber. They don't let any reporters in anymore. That, I, I have a question about that because yes. when I watch this show, it's always fascinating to me. Like, I don't think that I could sit in that room. What is that like? Do well, you kind of feel like you're there, they're being served justice, but you kind of feel guilty that you're watching this? I never did it. Okay. I yeah. did everything up to it, and I stayed outside. It was like something I didn't, you yeah. know. And 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 I'm not a big advocate. I'm not a big advocate of the death penalty because I'm, I'm always wrong. You know, what if it's wrong? Now I did see with like all these families of McDuff's victims, they were relieved that he was executed because they said he won't hurt anyone else again. That's what the relief was for mm-hmm. them. Does the pain go away? Uh, no. No, many of their lives, they're just mostly, these families are destroyed by it for years. But I never wanted to go in. I know I've talked to the executioners. I know every step, everything that happens, uh, everything. I've talked to wardens who are, being, who are in there. And, you know, in Texas, the inmate is given a, uh, an opportunity for the last words. So you will hear 
what his last words were, and they are bizarre. Yeah, I w- I'm curious what some of them were. <laughs> well, we're gonna let, we're gonna let you listen to hear, hear that. <laughs> okay, I am dying to hear what his last words were. How can I listen to the podcast and find out? True Crime Reporter on your favorite uh, podcast app. We're on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. And there's one other segment, episode you're going to listen to. There's 15 episodes, so Mm -hmm. be sure to start at one because it's serialized. You know, we're going to take you step by step. But you're going to hear the confession by his accomplice. And this is very unique. You never have a serial killer that has an accomplice, and you're going to hear. And so we've literally had... I've had uh, ladies send messages in saying, oh, my God, I had to sleep with the lights on after mm-hmm. hearing that. Oh, I'm sure. But it's a lesson. It's, I think you can learn something about your personal safety and all and, and heighten your awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you, as a mom, you have me really stressed out right now, and I have a feeling I'll be sleeping with the lights on tonight. <laughs> and I just want to know, like, you've worked with all these different criminals. What kind of advice would you offer to parents as far as what we can do to educate and protect our kids? Well, I brought my children up in Highland Park, and my daughter says that the worst thing that can happen to you is your your dad's an investigative reporter and does stuff in prison systems and knows everything because she was not allowed to play out in the yard or run around the yard. And we were very careful about her friends because I just knew too much about child molesters and serial serial rapists because I talked to them in prison. I did series on them. And so, for instance, I know one thing I know is that the first place the really seasoned investigators go, if there's a ch- looking on child abduction rapists, is all the construction and tradespeople that are going through, and they're kind of invisible in the bubble to mm-hmm. people. And but if you look into them, typically big prison records, big mm-hmm. prison records. So uh, the key thing is that. Especially right now, when you leave the bubble. Now, the bubble has got the best police, best trained police and equipment in the. But you leave it. So we're going through a situation in Dallas now where they have been defunded because their overtime was cut. Many officers are retiring, and I know many of them. I'm hearing from it. The trial of crime rate is soaring here. Another thing that's going on is so-called bail reform. It's happening across the country, but there it's lenient. So, for instance. Dallas County has released 25 capital murder defendants on bail. That means if they're convicted, they get executed or life without parole. They're out. They're out right now. And so uh, we had a police officer killed in Houston last week, uh, a gang member out $100 bail on a gun crime and like a week later, murders, just got out and mur- executed the officer at a traffic stop. So you need to be really aware of your surroundings. And we all got to get you know busy and carried away, sure. especially during the holidays. Parking garages, parking lots, paying attention. And you're actually uh, a woman with children is probably the most vulnerable because... You're distracted. Well, not only that... This is the way they think. I've talked to them about this in prison. They feel like they've got an edge on you if you got your children. If I threaten your children, or I, uh, you'll do whatever. You're, I'm going to get you to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's the sad thing: they're going to kill you and your children, the ones that abduct. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but they'll use that. They'll get your guard down. You know. So one of the things I learned, and I listen, I stress to my wife, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, friends, is that on the abduct on the abduction cases, and this happens a lot. Do not get in the car. Your last chance is to fight, yell, scream. You almost have to assume maybe I'm already dead. Mm-hmm. But if you get in the car, that's, that's it. That's it. That's it. Kenneth mm-hmm. McDuff, the serial killer we did, see, so he kind of blitzed people. You know, they came out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, surprised them. But it's also about don't put yourself, you know, in the wrong situation. And also... We're all pretty good. If you kind of have a, this feeling about somebody, trust your feelings. Always trust your gut. I trust totally your gut. agree with that. And can I tell you something? Being that I grew up in New York, even though it was Park Avenue, I grew up in New York City. I always, when I get my car to this day, even in my driveway, I lock the door instantly. Mm-hmm. And I taught my son that. The second you get in the car, you lock yep. the door. I shut my garage instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. And you know what I really like? I'm, I'm, I don't have any affiliation or anything. The ring doorbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in my neighborhood, the ring doorbell solved a uh, carjacking murder there just recently. Wow. Uh, where they had followed the woman. They came up, uh, wanted her car, stalled her. She screamed. They shot her. Then he came. He decided, well, the job's not finished. He came back and put a bunch more rounds into her. Didn't know her, not oh anything. Oh, my God. Fortunately, and she was talking on the phone to friends. This is up by the... Preston Royal Shopping Center. Oh, yes. I've heard about this one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, everybody's ring cameras picked up the car as mm-hmm. it went down the street. And they found him. That's great. Yeah. Everyone get your I ring mean, cameras. This is so fascinating. Everybody, you've got to tune in to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Again, tell us how we can find it. True Crime Reporter on any podcast app. And we have uh, two more. Co- We've got another one called Justice Facts. I do it with the the former federal prosecutor that captured got captured McDuff and got him back behind bars, and we sit down and tell stories from our careers, kind of one ofs. So we just did one. We've just done a couple. One's called "The Day the Last Texas Ranger Died," and he died trying to rescue a two year old girl who'd been kidnapped. Uh, and we just did one called uh, "Murder Mayhem." And methamphetamines, the real Breaking Bad story from Texas. Mm. So we do these one-offs. And then, if that's not enough, we have another one coming called SWAT Brothers, and I do it with a bunch of ex-SWAT guys. Mm -hmm. This is for the men in the audience, the men that like... They're interested in guns or even women, if you're interested in using firearms, they talk about that and they talk about exploits. There's guys that SEALs on there and Delta and stuff. But they also talk a lot about... Uh, in, in the climate we're in, how to buy a gun, gun safety, gun safety, gun safety. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are buying handguns for self-protection, and they do not know how to use them. No. Well, Robert, this has been such a pleasure talking to you today, and I'm just curious, can we find you anywhere else besides the podcast? There's the True Crime Reporter website. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of people coming in there. I have people coming in there saying, I just had one this morning. My uh, high school classmate, she was murdered when we were in high school in Fort Worth. It's been years ago. It's a cold case. Can you do something on it? Maybe it'll get interest again. Mm -hmm. So people are coming into the website. Uh, You can find us everywhere on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. And what's Uh, your handle? 
True Crime Reporter. Okay, perfect. I and, like that and, you got and, that. And Easy on enough. Twitter, it's uh, True Crime Show. Okay. True Crime is too long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're everywhere, and our social media director Grace Woodward is very good and connecting with people and everything. So this has been, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a fascinating episode, right, Martha? Oh, it's been one of the best. So again, uh, I'm Nellie Shudo. And I'm Martha Jackson, and we'll catch you next time.